All right. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, why don't you go ahead and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, You'll find that if you need a Bible, um, we have one of these Bibles for you. Um, If you get one of those Bibles, just put up your hand. Uh, One of our ushers will bring you one um, and then turn to page 823. Uh, We will not have the scriptures on the screen this morning um, just because we want to have Bibles in our hands. We want to be able to look through. I believe that beyond Sunday, we want you to be able to navigate through the scriptures. So uh, if you need a Bible, go ahead and put up your hand. You can also open that app and find uh, the Bible on your phone these days, the wonderful gift of technology uh, that we have. Uh, This morning we are beginning a new series. If you also pull out the message notes that you hopefully got on the way in, we're beginning a new message series called The Gospel. Now, uh, you may wonder, how is it that we uh, decide on a new series? How how do our sermon series come into play? Each Sunday we stand up here and we teach through uh, a a series in Scripture. Uh, How do they come into play? Um, Jeremy, do you still need youth over there? If you're in grades 5 through 12, um, your leaders, your youth leaders are over there. Uh, They'd be glad to meet you over there. So how do we come to a a message series here? Um, Some churches are denominational churches where they kind of uh, get the schedule for the year. We're non-denominational, so we don't have anybody who emails us a schedule of what to teach. Some churches will go through uh, different books that are out there, kind of series people have put together. Uh, Here the way we come to our series Uh, Something like this. As a pastor, um, there's really two main things that I spend my time doing. I could get more theological about this and explain kind of deeper, but the two main things that I spend my time doing. One, I spend my time in the Bible, okay, reading through the Bible. We believe it's God's word, uh, getting direction from God there. The second main thing I do is I spend time with uh, people, And to hear kind of what's going on in people's lives. What are we struggling with? What are we going through? Where do we need direction? So uh, as I look on one hand in the Bible and find God's direction for our lives, for our church, uh, for all humanity. uh, And then on the other hand, I look at the people that God has entrusted to us here. uh, Kind of somewhere in the midst of that, God does something uh, and leads us to uh, something to talk through uh, using his word. And so we also have an overarching vision here as a church of who God is calling us to be. And so in our series, uh, generally that's how God works. Uh, We we come to this place and we we hear what he has for us. Now generally, even though I believe God has something to do for us in a new series, I'm constantly blown away that he goes and does something far more than I even anticipated. So as we come to a new series, I always get very excited uh, and anticipating that God's going to do something. So uh, I hope just you'll start to get a little bit uh, excited and anticipating, hey, God may want to do something uh, in our church, but even more so in your life as we come to this series. So what is it that drove this series? Well, I'll tell you, as I read the Bible, as I uh, look at the New Testament, the reality is this word gospel is all over the place. In fact, the New Testament tells us that uh, the gospel is the power of of salvation, that there's power in the gospel. We find that it's the strength, the continual uh, catalyst for transformation in our lives. We find that the gospel is the hope of eternal life and hope even for this life. We find that the gospel brings victory over sin and over Satan and over the spiritual forces uh, in this world. 
In fact, we find time and time again that the gospel gives direction to God's people on earth. The gospel gives eternal purpose, even as we live here on this earth. It gives us focus in our lives. That's what the Bible says about the gospel. Well, then as I spend time among us, even time in my own life, I find how many times are our lives marked, not with those things, but by discouragement, by distraction, by depression. How many times are we burdened down by sin, stuck in addiction, feeling the pressures of the cultures of the world around us, pushing us here and there, and we don't know which way to go. We live without purpose, without focus. And so uh, we have to ask, what is it that we are missing in the midst of that? If we hold to this gospel, but yet uh, we struggle in our reality, you know, and to some degree, in this broken world, we're going to struggle with those things. However, if we hold on to the gospel, um, maybe it is that we'll find more of what the Bible tells us. Now, there could be a couple problems. One, either the gospel is not all that God says it is. God is not uh, true, and these things, well, and maybe it's just not true. Or, the other hand, what, what we believe is that, hey, maybe we are not fully grasping something. Maybe we're not really kind of living in the way that God has called us to. Maybe we don't understand the gospel. Maybe we are not applying and living in our lives the way that he has called us to. And so what do we do? Because sometimes the temptation can be for us, church, as it always has been. In fact, back in Galatians chapter 1, the Galatians were a church. Uh, and very early on in the first century, Paul had to write to them and remind them of the gospel because... Uh, they're being tempted to turn aside to another gospel. And Paul says, as if there is one to turn to. And we can, in the midst of trying to figure it out, yes, we believe in Jesus, but we add a lot into it as well. Okay, we like the gospel, we like Jesus, but I need this. And we add other things to the gospel rather than pressing in and grabbing on and holding into that which God said is the power of salvation the hope of transformation, the ability for growth, no matter what our circumstances are. So we are going to be in this five-part series on the gospel. And this is going to be for everybody, whether you're brand new to the church and never been really to anything Christian before and you're here, well, this is going to be a great opportunity uh, to really kind of hear what is it that we're all about in the gospel uh, for you, if you've been in church for many, many years, maybe you're struggling with some of the things that I just mentioned and coming back to our roots, being reminded of the gospel of Jesus, maybe once again transformational. So some of the things that we want to grasp in this next six weeks as we do a five-part series on the gospel is going to be, number one, that we really grasp the gospel that will uh, define it so that when we fling this word around uh, in our Christian circles, we actually know what it is that we're talking about. We will define the gospel more and more clearly for us. And we're going to have a bunch of different resources out there that on Sunday morning we're going to blast through a lot of things, but you can get some of these resources and hear more about that throughout the week. So if you haven't filled out a connection card, we don't have your information, go ahead and do that as well. Next we're going to trust, learn to trust the gospel. If the gospel is a reality, how is it that we are to trust? And some of us will take new steps of faith that will lead us into a greater understanding of God and the reality he has for us life. 
life. We are going to learn to learn to live in the gospel. Because the reality is, many of us church people think, hey, the gospel is something that gets us into heaven, gets us a ticket to eternal life. But we don't grasp the fact that, no, we live in view of the gospel each and every day. The gospel doesn't only transform our eternity, it transforms our earthly days right here and now. And finally, one thing I'm very excited about is we're going to share the gospel. Not just here on Sunday mornings, but we're going to have a challenge to every person who calls Discovery their home. That in this next month, during this next series, that you will share the gospel with somebody in words within this next month, okay? And I know there's lots of reasons maybe we struggle to do that. Maybe it's been, well, I don't really know what to say. Well, that's why we're going through this uh, series in the fact that you will learn the words to say and be able to share with others. Many of us who are teachers know this, that you know you really have learned something when you can share it, when you can teach it to others. So maybe you're saying, well, I don't know what I would say. We're gonna cover that during this series. Maybe some of you say, well, I'm just really not all that excited or inspired to do that. Uh, We're praying that throughout this series we will be uh, reignited, repassioned by the gospel because the gospel is good news. That is what the word gospel actually means if we're defining it. The gospel means good news, very literally. Okay, what is, I mean, you may think of this, what is the best news that you've ever heard in your life? What is it? For some of us, we would go back to the day that we got engaged and couldn't keep from calling everybody that we knew. That's what we used to do. Now it gets posted on Facebook, I know that. But, you know, or the day you got married and you wanted to share with everyone, capture the pictures, all that. Or maybe it was the day that you found out you were pregnant or had your child. Maybe it was the day that you got into school or grad school. Yeah, just let everybody know. You know the feeling that came up inside and just the overwhelming that you had to share it with others. That's what the gospel means. It is good news. It's a Greek word, euangelion, that literally means good news. And here's what the gospel is, a definition for you. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died for sinful, broken, lost irreparable people and rose again that we might not stay that way but have new and eternal life that begins the moment that we trust in him the gospel is good news the apostle paul writes this very clearly in the new testament if you want to turn with me to first corinthians uh, chapter 15 maybe you're already there page 823 now again a church was having a problem the church in corinth forgetting But Paul writes to them, and he says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I first preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. You see, the Apostle Paul made a point of always going around wherever he was, proclaiming the gospel. It was his purpose. It was his ministry. And he had gone from city to city, ended up in this sinful city of Corinth. He preached the gospel. The people received the gospel there, and they became this church But over the years, they needed to be reminded of the gospel in which they received, in which they stand, by which they are being saved. Paul says this, For I deliver to you as of first importance. The gospel is the first importance, was 
always is. So all that we do as a church, whether it's the relationships that we form, the songs that we sing, the way we serve our kids, the times we meet in our homes during the the middle of the week, the backpacks that we do, of first importance in the midst of all that is the gospel. And this is what it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in according with the scriptures. And Paul goes on and he talks about all the appearances that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, was there. And then he goes on even further in 1 Corinthians 15. You can look at this where he goes on and says, you know what this means for you is that not only was Christ raised from the dead, but now you, if you trust in him, are also raised from the dead with the hope of new life. This is the gospel. The gospel is good news. It is not good advice. Okay, good advice is something that we hear, somebody's idea, somebody's philosophy for how we should go through life. Good news, by definition, is something that actually happened, and now we are hearing about it. So there's good news when wars end. There's good news when something happens in our life is rooted in truth. It is good news about something that happened. It is good news about what Christ has done for us and the fact that he has rescued and saved us. It's important to understand all of those because if you're floating around in the ocean and you're saved or you're rescued by a ship that ultimately has a big hole in it and is going down anyway, that does you no good. So it's not just like, hey, we're rescued for a time where we feel good about ourselves, but no, it's that we are both rescued and saved by the reality of Jesus Christ and this gospel. The gospel is the news about what has been done by Jesus Christ to restore our relationship with God. If we can understand this, this is where it becomes not just good news, but really outstanding, great news. Because the reality that we believe is that we were created by a loving God And that we had relationship with him, but because we decided to uh, try things our own way in our selfishness, try things in our own way, thinking that we could get something better, that humanity left God's path, chosen to separate ourselves. And that is what the reality of this thing we call sin is. We chose to separate ourselves from God. And ever since that point, we have been trying to get back to the reality and the blessed life that we once had with relationship with God. But the whole story of the Bible is that we couldn't do anything in ourselves. And so God stepped in as he's always done, pursuing his lost people to bring us back to him, ultimately by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to go to the cross, to do what we could not do, to pay the sacrifice. Jesus came fully God and fully man. And he walked the earth, born as a baby, lived all his years, living perfectly what you and I cannot do. And then he went to the cross to die for us, to take all of the wrath of God's sin, of sin upon us. And he took it on himself. And this is the reality of the gospel, that Jesus didn't stay dead, but that he rose again. And as we trust in him, then we could have new life. You see, the good news is that The lost can now get found. The broken can be repaired. The wounded can be healed. 
in Jesus Christ. And this is what becomes, as we understand this, uh, the good news that just kind of overflows out of us rather than a bunch of things that we need to do to please God. No, it's what Jesus has done for us on our behalf. This is the great news. Now, I just said a whole bunch of words. So how is it that we can really begin to latch on to the gospel? And I like to simplify it as much as possible so I can remember things and then kind of go out from there. There are two words to know to understand the gospel. It is this. It is death and it is resurrection. The gospel, two words, is death and resurrection. It's the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. It's the death of myself and the resurrection of myself. Now, if you can understand those things, why it is that Jesus had to uh, die and why he did die for you. And then the reality that he rose again, well, we're beginning to grasp it. So uh, latch on to those words and gain an understanding of why the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of us. We'll continue talking about that throughout this series. Well, not only the two words, we're going to talk about four parts. Where for those of us as we come and want to respond to Jesus, we really need to have an understanding of these four parts. If we want to share it with somebody, we need to make sure we communicate these four parts to give somebody a fuller understanding of it. The four parts are this, God, man, Christ, and response. Okay, those are the four parts that we're going to talk through in this series. Number one, we need to know something about God. Who is God? And what we learn is that he is a loving God who created us. He is also a holy God who is completely other than any of us. And he is a just God. And that the way that he deals with man, the way that he deals with sin is right. We learn about man and women that all of us are sinful. We are all sinners. There's no one righteous, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we need to grasp that reality of sin. We'll talk about that next week. The reality of this thing that we call sin. And why it separates us from God. And how it separates us from God. And how we cannot get over that chasm ourselves. That we need Jesus to come. And we need to know about Jesus. That it, who he was. That he was fully God. And he was fully Man, and he lived a perfect life, and he died a perfect sacrifice, and he rose again that we may also. And finally, we need to know that it's a personal response. Okay, it doesn't matter what our parents did or how they lived. It doesn't matter that you go to a church that believes these things, that ultimately we are all personally accountable before a holy, righteous God, and that we will give an account before him one day when we pass on from this earth. And only through Jesus will we have an opportunity for him to see us as righteous, to see us as acceptable. And so we need to respond and trust in Jesus. So these are the four parts that we're going to continue to talk about uh, over the next several weeks here. But today we begin where the gospel begins. We begin with God. Part one of the gospel is God. You see, only uh, we'll never fully grasp all that the gospel means for us, all that the gospel has for us, until we grasp something about God, until we grasp the greatness of God. Matt Chandler says it this way, the work of God in the cross of Christ strikes us as awe-inspiring only after we have been awed by the glory 
of God. The reality is that we often go through life in not much awe. We often go through our Christian life, our church activities, without much awe of the reality. Uh, in my own marriage, I make this mistake sometimes. I have a bad habit of taking my wife for granted sometimes. Where, uh, you know, if I, I could tell you what I really believe and what I really feel, I know uh, what the Bible says, that she is my priority in life. I, I know who she is, that she is a, a precious jewel of a woman who God created, who is God's daughter, who brings so much into my life that I should appreciate all that she uh, brings and all that she does. But there are some times in life when the ball game is on or when work gets in the way or when I'm feeling a little bit grumpy or tired and sometimes I don't act the way that I know that I should. Though what I know does not equate. I mean, sometimes then when I need her, when I want her, when I actually think of her, well, then I go to her. But very often I take her for granted. Now you guys are awe, and, and I, I know I'm not alone up here. That's why I can, can share that. Yeah, just a pastoral note, don't do that, any husbands out there. Okay? Adore your wife, right? For all that she is. Receive her as the gift that God ha has given her. Treat her. Don't take her for granted. Don't go through life selfishly thinking it's all about me and she gives what I want or need when I think of it. Now, the reality is that oftentimes we go through life with God that way. Where we may... In the church, talk about the things that we know. We talk about the things that we believe. But do we live them out? Do they show in our lives? Uh, here's kind of a big point for today, and it is this. Our recognition of God precedes our response to God. Recognition precedes response. Okay, the ways that we respond tell us what we believe or what we know or what we are living in view of. So picture when we show up on a Sunday morning and we sometimes just kind of, you know, walk in and we sit and we're tired and it's hot and it's been a long week. Sometimes we uh, don't come in with the expectation or the anticipation of a loving God that he wants to reach out and do something in our lives this morning. Sometimes when we pray, we pray very small prayers, thinking uh, maybe God really won't do anything. The way that we respond is our recognition of what we know and what we believe about God. Or think about the ways that we come in and sing. If we come in and we uh, aren't excited in our, our singing, if we aren't uh, kind of responding in all the different ways that we can respond, and we're just kind of reading through some words on the screen. We're showing what in this moment, how we are responding. And perhaps it's going back to we're not recognizing God as he really is. We reveal that we're not deeply impacted by the gospel. That we don't really grasp the greatness of God. 
So our goal this morning in the minutes that I've left is to help us to grasp the greatness of God and then we're going to respond as we recognize him. Uh, To grasp the greatness of God, we're going to go to Romans uh, in the New Testament, chapter 11. If you have one of these Bibles, it's on page 811, um, Romans chapter 11. Uh, If you know anything about Romans, we're going to look at some verses in Romans throughout uh, this series. Um, Romans is a great dissertation written by the Apostle Paul on the gospel. It's a very logical book. Lots of Christians go there that like to kind of wrap their minds around heady things and to get a deep understanding. Uh, The way it's written as the first 11 chapters cover kind of the reality, the truths of the gospel. And then from chapters 12 to 16, he goes and he says, here's how we now live. Here's how we respond to that truth of the gospel. Okay, so 11 chapters of recognizing what God's done in the gospel, and then six, four chapters of how we respond in view of that. And there's these few verses that sit between most of Romans 1 through 11 and beginning in chapter 12. And this is what it says. Beginning in verse 33. Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now this is a very poetic hymn that comes from a not very poetic guy. Okay, he's kind of like that guy that thinks through the, the dissertation and all the piece of it, pieces of it, making logical arguments. And he is led at the end as he completes this argument, as he completes this understanding, he is led, only if you read through it, as I hope you will this week, that as you read through it, you find that he's almost led spontaneously to cry out and say, oh, the depth of you, God. What is it that causes him to uh, just to respond in this way? Let's look at verse 33. Oh, the depth. Oh, the depth of you, oh God. I think our world got a reminder about depth uh, as um, we mourn and grieve the tragic loss of the Malaysian Airlines flight that uh, went down in the middle of the Pacific. Now, the fact is that you heard time and time again in the news that why is it so hard to find this aircraft in the middle of the ocean? I mean, we are this technological society, why is it so hard for us to find this aircraft? And we heard time and time again about the depth of the oceans, the deepest part in the Pacific Ocean, 36,000 feet deep, nearly seven miles down. These are the depths and why it's almost unfathomable us for us to think that, hey, we can't find something on this earth. The reality is that we're reminded, as the news continually told us, the oceans are very deep and we are very small. But what we need to grasp is the greatness of a God 
who spoke the depths into being by a word of his mouth. That we must grasp the reality of an awesomely wonderful creator who created all things. And yes, that's what we believe is that God spoke into existence all the things that were not so that they could become what they are. Now, we're creative people and we can make some stuff. We can build big buildings and we can make artistic impressions uh, and we can make technology that makes our head spin. But the reality is that it all begins with something. God is able to create out of nothing. In fact, he has unlimited resources because he creates the resources. And oh, the depth of his riches. Oh, the depth of his resources, his unlimited God in the ways that he creates, in how he creates. I could take you to the depths of the ocean, or we can go outside on a starry night, and we can be wowed by the expanses of the galaxies, like many of our men were doing on the men's camp. We can even pull out our stargazer app and break it all down and figure things. But there may be one thing that may be more impactful than anything this week. And it would be to step outside sometime this week. And take a few minutes to gaze up at the galaxies. If you have kids, bring them out with you. If you have a fire pit, make a little fire. Sit around it. Look up. Just be awed by the greatness of God. It continues, oh, the depths of your riches, oh, the depths of your wisdom and knowledge. We need to recognize God as sovereignly all-knowing. Okay, Paul has just gone through a whole bunch of logic where he's put it together, uh, kind of like a puzzle that's taking shape in life and seeing all the ways that God has worked, not only in his life, but uh, throughout all of the history of humanity. And maybe to get a a glimpse of that, maybe pause for a moment and look back at your life. Maybe you've been through something. When, When I pause and I remember, when I get out of the busyness and distraction, just think of where God has led me and my family over these past few years. How it is that he even led us to Davis. I came here as a marine biologist. You may notice there's no ocean in Davis. How did I end up here? How is it when we came to Davis and we said, you know what, there's no church here for us. We ended up going over to Vacaville for for several months for church before God led us back here. And as I look at all the bits and pieces of how he led us here, as I was pursuing my career and had my things in line and how God called me to be a pastor. And if I could recount to you all the individual steps, if I could recount to you the hard times in life and my wife and I in our marriage, in the loss of both of our fathers and the grief that we face. And I'll tell you in the midst of all those times, like, God, what are you doing? God, how can this be your plan? Do you even know what you're doing, God? But now as I sit here in this seat and I look back over those years, I say, God, you had better things in store than all of I could have imagined or put together in myself. And as we go through many of these things, it causes us to know in an increasing fashion and grasp that, God, you are sovereign 
you are all-knowing. It increases our faith and trust. Now, the problem for many of us sitting here is that we're kind of in the midst of that hard time where we've got lots of questions, we've got lots of struggles, and you're crying out and you're saying, God, what are you doing? Or we've got our scientific minds, our logical minds, trying to put it all together. Now, questions are not a bad thing. I don't think that the great error is our struggle. The great error is when we choose to turn from God rather than holding on to him ever more tightly. And as we go through those times, as hard as they are, as we grab through our questions, as difficult as they may seem, we come to a place where we can say, God, you are all-knowing. You are sovereign. And we worship him, even reaching out to him, saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you. And I trust you. I'm reaching out to you because I need to hold on to you. That's what makes the difference. Not going the way. There was a time a man named Job in the Old Testament went through an extremely difficult time. And God sat there and listened to him ask a whole bunch of questions. But towards the end of the book, Job chapter 38, God finally speaks and he says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, Job. I will question you and make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. You see, God in his grace invites our questions. God in his grace wants us to seek him, to, to ask him those things. But there comes a moment where we need to, as it says in Romans 11, that we need to recognize how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways, that we don't know the mind of the Lord, that he is God and that we are not. And it's at that point that we surrender and say, God, you are God, I am not. So in the midst of the difficult seasons that you're going through, in the midst of the questions that you have here, the question will be as we worship, as we respond, do you recognize God as sovereignly all-knowing or do you depend on yourself and seek yourself and other answers okay two more and then we're going to go into a time of worship verse 35 says this who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid god is completely self-sufficient sometimes we have this idea in christian circles that god created us that he might have fellowship with us. That God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was uh, sitting out there and said, I'm feeling kind of lonely. And so he created man and woman so that uh, we would somehow fill up an emotional void in his life. It's a nice idea, but it's not the reality. You see, God is completely self-sufficient. It says in the New Testament that he is, he does not dwell in temples built by human hands. That he is not served by anything that we bring. He doesn't need us in relationship. He doesn't need our song so that he feels good on a Sunday morning. He doesn't need our service so he can get something done in this world. But he extends himself to us. He invites us. That's where we see his great love, that he has extended himself. We need to grow less 
self-centered and more God-centered, to realize it's about him that all things were created, and it is to him that is all glory and honor and praise forever. Verse 36 says that. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. We must grasp God as awfully glorious. Awfully glorious. You see, we live in the grace of Jesus for those of us who have come to know him. But sometimes that can lead us to forget the truth and the reality of God. That while God is gracious with us, he is still awe-inspiring. He is still holy. He is still awful. He's awfully glorious. He's awfully good to invite us to him. That it says at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 4, that our reality will be, for those of us who are in Jesus, that we will be in a throne room where he is declared as holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Isaiah 6, a prophet in the Old Testament, he one day got a glimpse of that and he fell to his knees and he says, Woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Peter, in the New Testament, when he came to follow Jesus after a great catch of fish, what he actually did was this. He fell to his knees and said, Jesus, be away from me, for I am a sinful man. See, God is still awfully glorious. And we first need to grasp and recognize him before it is that we respond to him. And so the way that we're going to wrap up today is simply hoping to grab onto the greatness of God. Oftentimes we'll rush into communion and and songs and and go from there. But the way we're going to end this message is, is to just focus on the greatness of God. We've talked about some things here. God wants to reveal himself more and more to people who would come and seek him. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to hold off on communion for a few moments. And as you recognize God, respond to him. We respond in all different ways. Some of us sing loudly and joyfully because we have grasped the greatness of the gospel as well as the greatness of God. Some of us may sit silently as we ponder the greatness of God. And we ponder coming for our holy God. Some of us may fall to our knees. And you're welcome to do that. Some of us will raise hands and surrender, reaching out to God because we're realizing our need of hope for him. Let's bow our heads as we come before God. God, it's only in your grace that we can even come here together this morning. That we can be gathered from wherever it is that we come from and be in this place. God, we recognize and we repent that we do not view you in the ways that you are. That our minds are limited, our hearts are hardened, our eyes have been darkened by the difficult things in this world. But God, this morning we pray that your spirit would come and that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts that you would free our minds to simply see you. God, that we might recognize you, that you are a creator, that you are a loving God who welcomes us to come, that we can be wrecked by your holiness. But God, come, move among us. May we respond to you as you 
open up our hearts and open our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh